Hello, and welcome to another Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And my name is Peter, Peter Vetter. I'm president of Bell Labs Core Research at Nokia. Peter, thanks so much for making the time for us. I do appreciate it. I'm glad to be with you again. It has been a little bit more than a year since you've appeared on this podcast, and I was uh, looking back over our last conversation about 6G, and uh, I'm very curious to see what what's changed in the world <laughs> as far as uh, uh, as far as well. I know, of course, first thing we're we're closer to the standard, you know, to getting to the 6G uh, standard. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's quite a lot going on. And so I'm uh, uh, excited to talk about it uh, with you. Um, I guess the first the first place we ought to start is maybe the the uh, the 6G timeline, like where where uh, where 6G is in the timeline and how how close how close you think we are. Yeah, so so indeed, lots of things have already happened in in the six G environment. We we are changing from what I would call the exploration research phase to what I would call the more the systematization research. And to to your question, indeed, because uh, we are getting into the pre-standardization phase. Uh, so the expectation is that 6G will become commercialized by the end of the decade. Uh, there is an industry understanding that release uh, 21 of 3GPP, uh, the, the, the mobile uh, global mobile standard, will be uh, the first real 6G specification. In the meantime, we're still work preparing for release 19 and release uh, 20, which are 5G advanced uh, capabilities. But even though this is several years out, uh, that work, uh, the pre-standardization work uh, will start very soon. So uh, that means requirement collection, how we are going to evaluate these requirements, getting a first system architecture view. And that is uh, inspired and influenced by the first proof of concepts that are happening in, in the research space. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I, there's definitely a lot of talk about 5G advanced, especially now because it, you know 5G's been installed um, for a while and its capabilities are improving, and we're getting a little bit closer to having you know an entire the entirety of mobile services, you know, voice and everything else delivered over 5G, and of course the speeds are improving. Um, I guess what you know, since our audience is, uh, you know, a, a uh, a lot of service providers and the ecosystem that supports them. Um, what do you see as some of the challenges that service providers are going to face as they um, kind of get get settled into 5G advanced and get prepared for 6G? Yeah, so, so every generation uh, tries to uh, prepare for a new application, but deliver the existing application with better performance and lower energy. Uh, a new generation typically also comes with new platform capabilities and um, enable new business models. So if, if I would say uh, the new applications for 6G is very much going to be about the digital and physical world fusion, so digital twinning of the state of the physical world in the digital world uh, and 
with that, augment our capabilities to make better decisions on planning, automating our industrial processes, uh, automating uh, yeah, processes also in, in wider areas, in, in harbors, in cities. Now, to make that happen at scale, you need massive sensing, massive scale sensing to connect the physical world with the digital world, keep that synchronicity. And so, um, and you need massive uh, deployment of AI capability, uh, artificial intelligence, to deduce meaningful information from what the sensors are, are, are picking up. So to deploy that, you need a new infrastructure, which we call 6G. And uh, 6G, so that was the defining application, the, the defining platform is very much going to be the use of cloud so that you can flex, flexibly implement these new applications uh, at a scalable way and, and uh, also uh, enabling new business model to deploy them as a service, different players. And then also massively use AI, not only to enable these applications, but also to enable uh, a, a better automation and a simplification of the operation of that network. Will uh, approaches to um, technologies like AR and VR be different and how how will we kind of uh i guess interact with the physical and virtual world uh differently in 6g so there there is on one hand uh indeed uh, what you're hinting at new ways of digesting uh the, the visual content through xr either as an overlay or, or as as a vr virtual reality and there's roadmaps and improvements to these type of devices to make them really ergonomical. And once these applications uh, pick up, we will see a, a massive increase also of bandwidth requirements in, in the future network. Uh, but in addition to that, there's also the new applications, right? There, there is also the, uh, the, the, the massive scale use of sensing in the up upstream dimension, uh, the video sensors amongst others. And then we also want to be more inspired on the research side, uh, the holographic representations beyond the XR capabilities, the transmissioning of, of 3D rendered uh, images that you can see on any type of uh, multimedia representation, holographic, uh, 360 uh, video screen, or indeed your, your XR uh, glasses. Mm -hmm. I could foresee myself getting spooked a lot though. Like is our, our holographs gonna be popping up everywhere and <laughs> chatting with you mean just like, knowing uh... my own personality. <laughs> You mean like when I when I call a meeting for the editors and we all just appear in your kitchen? <laughs> I'll be like, get out of here, it's dirty. <laughs> like, I need to do the dishes. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> uh, hence, you you do want to have some privacy preserving mechanisms in, right. in that future infrastructure to be, before you allow people to access uh, your private environment and whom you allowed uh, uh, there. So that that is going to be another important challenge uh, of the future infrastructure, right? Uh, the privacy preservation and also the security, uh, secure transmission of data. 
Yeah, I, I almost wonder um, in public places, like how people would react to it, because already, uh, you know, you see videos where pe people think they're being videoed in, in a public place and they they get frustrated. So um, would they be OK with holograms? But I guess you're kind of accepting that. But then in your home, you could set up some privacy or or maybe even while you're out, you could um, have particular settings to not allow those holograms. I don't know. I, I feel like there's, you'd know better than I would, but <laughs> maybe there's a like, lot of different options of, of how you can ingest that information. Yeah. And I think there's a, also a room for a regulation of what type of and where you install sensors in, in the public space that pick up uh, yeah, these, these video images that allow you to, to track you in in different environments, be it in the city, in in an industrial enterprise environment, so there's a, there's room for regulation as well as as well as enabling technologies, the the ability to opt out from uh, the, the the digital world, depending on who is looking into the digital world. I um uh I think this is related because we we were talking about sort of blending the physical and the you know, the virtual world and, and a 6G network making it possible for that to happen at scale, because obviously it can happen to some degree now with wired devices and and, and really high bandwidth uh, environments. Um, but you mentioned the use of digital twins and how that's going to be different on 6G. And I've also, you know, previously we had discussed um, a kind of transmitting human senses over distances through, uh, you know, broadband connections. Um, how do you think uh, this capability is going to manifest itself on the 6G network? And, uh, you know, are, are, uh, will digital twinning kind of be, uh, is, is that one of the applications or one of the enablers of, of that sort of network sense uh, capability? It, it's going to be both. On, on one hand, the, okay. uh, it will be the 6G network that interconnects all the, the, the sensing capabilities with the AI models in the digital twin world that uh, record that and that keep state of, of the world. And then the networking back to the representation of that world, either in a real world image or in a, in a process that you use that information to actuate the, the motion of robots and machine and, and humans in, for instance, a, a factory environment. So you need a network for that. Uh, but the net, so the connectivity, but the network will do more than just connectivity. The network itself will also have sensing capabilities. And unintended, we sometimes talk about the 6G network with the sixth sense. And uh, if you were at Mobile World Congress and you, you visited the, the, the Nokia booth, we actually demonstrated how a radio system, a mobile radio base station can be used as a sensor simultaneously without impairing the quality of uh, the, the, the communication system. Uh, and what we have shown is that with an ac accuracy of say tens of centimeters, you can localize people and, uh, and also machines, objects, cars, uh, you can detect their speed, and you can detect even other things like uh, the, the motion of a chest, the, the heart rate, oh, 
to be a human. The, the, the motion of a, a fan, ah, it must be a piece of equipment. Uh, so there's the network with the sixth sense, using radio not only for communication, but also as an additional sensing modality. Yeah, I can definitely, um, it, it's hard even to imagine all the, the different use cases, <laughs> but I think that'll be really interesting to see see that develop. Um, and I know one of the things that um, the benefits that was um, touted for 5G at the beginning was that it was inherently secure and, and um, I had a lot more uh, security features. Do you feel like 6G, 6G will be even more secure than uh, 5G? 6G will need to be more secure because the threat surface of possible threats is increasing. There's millions of devices in a square kilometer that will be connected, billions of devices worldwide. There will be networks of networks, millions of networks. There will be different components, hardware components, software components, open source. There will be more interfaces. So these are all vulnerabilities and possible security attacks. So the, the network will inherently build, become need to become more secure. We sometimes say it's actually a zero trust infrastructure. How do you enable uh, better security, a trusted service on a zero trust infrastructure? And use such things as anchors of trust and just tokens and distributed ledgers. The other important security threat that we need to uh, keep in mind is the uh, advent of quantum computing and the fact that uh, quantum computers will be able to hack code that is deemed safe today and secure today. And even if we think quantum computing is far out, we're storing already data today and people are able to sniff it and that may still be valuable information in 10 years from now when the quantum computer becomes a reality. And then the other thing to keep in mind is making it also not only quantum safe, but AI safe. Also AI has shown that uh, it can hack encrypted code. So how, how do you make uh, future encryption codes AI safe? How, how do I make also AI models that I'm using to operate my network, that I'm using to make decisions in my industrial process, that those are secure and safe? So there's a lot of new security challenges that we need to address in the 6G space. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That's a long list of uh, <laughs> of threats and capabilities that uh, do make it sound kind of intimidating, yeah. but I suppose <laughs> it's kind of the same as if we were talking about 5G in the era of 2G, it would it would have probably felt the same, you know, the, mm -hmm. the more devices, more technology and stuff like that. So uh, I, su I suppose we'll grow into it. Um, uh, for for the sake of this podcast and brevity, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I do want to actually ask about another um, another profound challenge that's sort of uh, well, I guess challenge and opportunity because it is a market opportunity. But um, in the now that we have five G, one of the things that I'm that more and more people are noticing is that five G connectivity indoors has been pretty abysmal in a lot of cases, and um, We've had a lot of uh, uh, 
in building connectivity uh, that's been used as a you know a market opportunity for carriers and for service providers of various types um, but it's also sort of admittedly kind of picking up a weakness because we realize that um, you know the 5g network is great outside it's not as great inside especially on mid-band spectrum um, is there anything about the properties of 6g uh, itself that will um, that will be better suited for that uh, kind of indoor uh, you know, for the for both the indoor and outdoor environment, but mostly for indoors, because it seems like a lot of people, even though they're on mobile phones, don't really, you know, they don't really leave their desks any more often than they did before. So first, I want to say that in 5G, the what what is so called the midband around 3.5 gigahertz actually does have good indoor uh, coverage. It it passes at least one brick wall. Uh, what you're referring to is the uh, 5G millimeter wave, what which at the beginning was very much hyped as the technology for 5G, and that didn't really uh, deliver on the promise of the coverage and indoor penetration. So therefore, lesson learned for 6G while research engineers all get excited about even higher frequency bands beyond millimeter wave and subterahertz. And, and yes, there is cool things that you can do uh, also in terms of accurate sensing. We see uh, an, an important other band that is the, uh, the new golden band of 7 to 15 gigahertz, just above the current mid band. And we have shown in our modeling that you can get actually very good coverage from existing cell sites with uh, that particular band. And that is a very much a focus of, of our research. In, in addition to that, uh, we also like to think of the, the, the future network as a network of network, where the endpoint is again a network, where you have a local network, say the machine area network, uh, a, a body area network, so you connect to one hub, and then from there you connect to devices in its periphery. So in this way, we we can address these uh, coverage challenges also. And then let's let's be fair. Also, Wi-Fi will make progress, and and the two technologies will likely exist in in the future, each with their uh, benefits. And uh, do you do you also have some thoughts on how um, 6G will um, further, uh, you know, strategies and, and goals around uh, the metaverse? So metaverse actually uh, is a way of, uh, the, the way we talk about metaverse is very much about that digital physical fusion. Um, we, we talk a lot about the industrial metaverse uh, representing the the digital twin of a factory, whereas the larger community talks about metaverse, about that um, 3D social interaction with, with avatars. So we, we very much go beyond that. So metaverse has had its hype. It's now a bit in the throat of uh, disillusion, but we've been doing research on those concepts already for, for many, many years before meta became a thing in the industry. And we continue on that because we very much believe in the value of digital physical fusion, uh, both on the sensing side, real 
time capture of the physical world, as well as the representation side. So making it easy to digest for humans to interact with that digital world. It's a, yeah, it's interesting. I do agree that the that metaverse as a definition kind of changes depending on who you're talking to. Um, I'm I'm uh, uh, and I and I appreciate that the characterization of it being more of a digital physical fusion. I, I think that actually helps people kind of picture it a little bit better. Um, do you think that kind of uh, digital physical fusion does that? Does that really start with the three G or the uh, sorry the six G network, or um, are we already there in some in some degree with uh, with where we're at at five G? So this digital twinning indeed uh, already happens uh, in in present industrial processes. There are uh, digital twins of jet engines that uh, some. Uh, plane manufacturing companies are pursuing. There's already digital twins of machines in factories. There's even uh, early stages of a digital twin of your car, keeping state of uh, the repair parts that have been uh, put in your car. And so these early instances uh, show what can be done. The very moment that you can do this at a larger scale, you will see more complex uh, digital twinning, say, for instance, uh, as an example, a harbor, where you then have multiple players that benefit from the digital twin. Uh, it can be uh, a player that is interested in, in the storage of the containers, and then there is the uh, transportation companies that come in there, there is the the, 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 the the, the service companies that come in there, and there can different players uh, be different players that also offer the services. There are uh, entities that are good at, at the sensing capabilities. Then there's other ent entities that are good at the data analytics, and then there are the application developers. So, what will with that example, what will also be important is to scale that digital twin opportunity, create a platform that make that happen and create a 6G infrastructure that interconnects these capabilities. The connectivity, the sensing, the AI data models, the application developments on, on top. And these can be multiple stakeholders. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, that makes sense. Uh, Kelsey, do you have, uh, we, we're close to needing to wrap up. Do you have one last question or do you want me to, uh, to to fire away. I've got one more if if need be. Um you can you can go. I guess I was just um the the only other thing was just what uh Peter what you're most looking forward to for 6G and what you're most excited about. I'm most excited actually about the capabilities of AI and redefining what a network can do uh, using AI. The making that complex system more simple with AI and driving performance in an energy efficient way using AI. Yeah, definitely so many opportunities there. Uh, Phil, I'll let you close. Oh yeah, oh, no, yeah. I, I, I'm very interested in kind of the network as a sensor or the, I don't know if that's how you described it, but it's like this idea that the network anticipates your arrival uh, or your your uh your movements in this in the city or going to work or wherever um 
you know, with so many interconnected devices and sensors, uh, as you've kind of like laid out this this vision of this happening, um, have has Bell Labs been able to sort of uh, put that to to test in sort of an application uh, in a specific application or a specific uh, instance of the network kind of acting as a sensor or this idea of network sensing? So there's, there's already multiple uh, use cases that we are looking at uh, of digital twinning. Uh, there is, for instance, a, a collaboration that we have in, in Arena 2036 in, in Germany. That's an experimental factory uh, where we are uh, combining the sensing and localization of robots with then having a state of the, uh, of the factory and then optimizing the, the, the production and the flow of humans and machines. And interestingly, we're connecting that also with a digital twin of the RF, the radio uh, frequency planning. Knowing where robots and machines are, we can actually, through digital twins of the radio signal strength, then also optimize the, the route for maximum connectivity of a robot, for instance. Oh, that's interesting. So the network kind of adjusts to um, to the movements of people and robots as the, as as needed, so that uh, so that it's not just uh, kind of as it is now, so, sort of broadcasting coverage, you know, even if there's no one around or nothing happening. Right, and that's especially important in industrial environments where reliability and low latency is is critical. So having the uh, the best understanding digital twin of your radio frequency with this, the current state of your factory um, makes a lot of sense for critical connectivity. That's pretty cool. Uh, well, we're yeah, we're coming up against it on time, but I am uh, I am very soon. Uh, I have an appointment to, um, uh, and it's a real sandwich, not a hologram sandwich. So I'm gonna <laughs> uh, I'm gonna make sure I go and and consume that. Uh, but. Uh, uh, Peter Vetter, thank you so much for being uh, part of the podcast and putting up with our nonsense once again. Uh, we really appreciate the update, and also, thanks for giving us a, a, a bit more of a uh, of a feel for where we're going with six G. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a very interesting conversation, also from my side. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh -huh.